still in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. You know, this is our uh, a third of what will be six sermons on this chapter, which may seem like a lot, but perhaps it's actually not enough. This is a very important chapter of Scripture for us and our life as Christians. Um, you know, Paul has spent the previous 11 verses here laying the framework for us for, you know, the basics of the gospel, the truths that we actually say about Jesus every week in the Apostles' Creed, that he, Christ, died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. This is foundational to our faith. This is what we teach our children. This is what we put weekly into our own brains and hearts and minds. And now Paul, in this passage before us, is is asking an interesting question. He's asking, what if? You know, the the people uh, of this church were questioning, some people were questioning whether or not the dead were raised. And Paul pulls the thread of the what if question. We find that in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 15, 12 through 19. If you're following along in your bulletin, uh, it's on page 211. No, actually, sorry, it's on page 14. Uh, you can also open your Bible. Sorry, I must have yelled at the first service. I'm starting to lose my voice. I'll try not to yell at you all. You guys look nice. And <clears throat> so hear now the word of God from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For as the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The grass withers and the flower fades the word of our God will stand forever. Pray with me. Most merciful and gracious Father, maker of heaven and earth, we come before you and your word, seeking your spirit's guidance, that your spirit would apply the truths in this word to our hearts and our minds, that we would not just be hearers of your word, that we would be doers of your word. Make this so this morning for us, your people, who sit at your feet waiting to be fed. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Near this this past uh, Easter, there was some hubbub around an interview with the president of Union uh, Theological Seminary, Serene Jones. Perhaps some of you may have even come across this article. It was in the New York Times, and the article was uh, this interview with her about the resurrection and whether or not 
the bodily resurrection of Jesus was necessary for Christians to be Christians. Uh, and here I pulled out one quote from this interview that kind of is a great summary of what she was trying to say. And it's short, and here it is. She says this, For me, the message of Easter is that love is stronger than life or death. That's a much more awesome claim than they put Jesus in the tomb, and three days later, he wasn't there. You know, what she's, what she's saying, what she's arguing, is that you can have Jesus the man without having to have all that Jesus is God's stuff. Uh, she's saying you can have his message of love. You can have some of the things that you liked that he talked about without having to believe that he was God in the flesh, a God of miracles, a God of the resurrection. And maybe even some of you here today are struggling with this issue. You like the idea of Christianity, the fellowshipness, the, the family kind of nature. Maybe you like the idea of love and serving one another. But when it comes to the miracles of Christ, namely his resurrection, maybe that's a struggle for you to actually believe. But how do we really know that he rose from the dead? And this morning, uh, Paul is forcing us to look at this issue of resurrection. And the question we're asking is this, is the resurrection of Christ essential to the message of Christ? Is it possible at all to have one without the other? Can you have Jesus as the moral teacher without having him as God incarnate? And this is kind of the dangling thread that Paul is kind of pulling on this morning. What would happen if the resurrection didn't happen? This is the ultimate what-if question. And what we find here is, is three implications of what would happen if Christ had not raised from the dead. And the first implication is this. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are not raised from the dead. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are not raised from the dead. Look back with me at verses 12 and 13. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And what we learn here is this kind of simple truth that we are so tied to Christ. Our future is so tied to Christ that our future resurrection is contingent upon his. Paul is saying, listen, if we don't rise from the dead, then not even Christ rose from the dead. But if Christ is raised then we are raised. And as Paul says, you know, even in the final verse in our section here, if our, if our hope in Christ is in this life only, meaning that it, if we don't have a hope of life after death, of life beyond the grave, then we are most to be pitied. And we are, we are most to be pitied because the Christian hope, the very thing that gives us joy, is the Christian message that death does not win the day. The Christian hope is that all the darkness that we see in this world, that we experience our sicknesses, our sorrows, our tears, will one day be no more. And in our darkest, deepest moments of doubt and sadness, it's that Christian hope that pushes us on, isn't it? That, that one day our sickness will end, and one day Satan, all that is evil, will be finished the Christian message actually is that love does conquer death, but love is a man. 
And it is conquered through the resurrection. And apart from the reality of Christ being the risen Savior and Lord, the message of hope makes us to be pitied because our hope beyond the grave, our hope that darkness will vanish, is vanity. Because if Christ could not conquer death, how could we hope to conquer death by believing in him? You know, the early church believed this truth so much so that they ended up worshiping in catacombs. You know what? A catacomb was basically a giant tomb that they worshiped in. Imagine worshiping here where we had the walls lined with the remains of those who had come before. And in some ways, it kind of seems kind of creepy, doesn't it? It's a little dark. You know, is this Halloween? What's going on here? Why are we worshiping all these skeletons around? But for them, it actually was a profound source of hope and joy and a future hope that though the grave will come for us all, it is not our final resting place. So much so that they're said to even some of their martyrs, they would actually march them through the streets because they knew that their death on this earth was not their end. They had a hope that they'd be resurrection, resurrected just as Christ was resurrected. And in this, there's this kind of beautiful Christian doctrine that we call union with Christ. There's a beautiful doctrine that gives us hope and joy because it's in our union with Christ that we are united to him in his resurrection. And in believing and putting our faith in him, we are born again, born into this family of God. In this, we are made new and united to Christ in such a way that whatever belongs to Christ belongs to us. That whatever is his is ours. And this is why the resurrection is so important because it's essential to our future hope and, and to our union with him, being united to a living being. And this is at the heart of the mission of God to come and to restore and to make all things new, to return the world to a garden state. And so what we find here is that our future hope of resurrection is contingent upon Christ's resurrection. In this case, you can't separate the resurrection of Christ from the message of Christ. Which begs a question of us, how does the resurrection of Christ affect us today, right now? I mean, is it only a future hope? Or is there hope in it for us right now, today? And what we find here is that not only is the resurrection essential for our life in the future, when we die and are raised to live forever with him, but it is necessary for our lives today. And we find this in our second implication of the resurrection, which is this. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then our life is empty. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then our life is empty. Look with me back at verse 14. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. <clears throat> vain is this kind of interesting word here that shows up a couple times in that verse for emphasis. And it is simply a word that means empty. Making our lives empty, vain. And the first way that our life is made empty is, in, is a little bit surprising, and it's in preaching. It's in preaching. You know, preaching is actually the foundation of our life with Christ. 
It is essential to our union with Christ. In Romans 10 tells us that it's through the preaching of the word of God, preaching of Christ, that we come to know about Christ, that we're able to put our faith in him. The preaching of God is necessary for life with God. You know, you actually see this example very clearly in the book of Acts. You know, in Acts chapter 2, you know, today is actually Pentecost Sunday where we remember the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit came, filled the church, and thousands are added. And what happens is the disciples are gathered in a room praying. The Spirit of God descends. There's some confusion. Peter stands up, and the masses are gathered for this feast day in Jerusalem, and Peter stands up and he preaches a very simple, a very short sermon, the sermon we all wish we heard every Sunday, right? That was a joke, sorry. Okay, there we go. He points back to the prophets, right, to the testimony. He said, listen, the long-awaited Messiah is actually come. He's here. You crucified him. He's dead. He, he rose again. And they say, what must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, you and your children. It is foundational. The message that we preach is Christ crucified, Christ risen. It is foundational to our life in Christ. You know, preaching is also meant to be satisfying to our, our souls. It is meant to be filling. You know, it's actually meant to be food for us. The word of God is even spoken of in terms of food in scripture. Two quick places we can go to. In Matthew 4, 4 when Jesus is responding to the temptations of Satan, he, Jesus answers him saying, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or in Psalm 119, the majestic uh, um, chapter that's on the word of God and the law of God, he says this in verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word of God is meant to be our food. It's meant to fill us. It's meant to satisfy us. And Paul is saying this, If Christ is not raised, our preaching is worthless. Our preaching is, is empty. Because what are we preaching? We're preaching Christ risen. And like it says in verse 15 here, if Christ is not raised, then the foundation of our preaching is gone and we're just lying to you. And it can't feed us any more than a bag of Cheetos could feed this entire room. If anything, it ends up leaving us more hungry than when we came. It leaves us with more unanswered questions. It leaves us confused. Because apart from preaching Christ, preaching him as the Messiah who died and was raised again, we have nothing to offer you. We have no balm for your soul. I have no hope to give you in the midst of the struggles of your daily life. Because the only hope we offer is not me. It's, Nate's not offering himself. We're offering Christ who died, who was buried, who is risen, and will come back again. Our gathering, our meeting, our worshiping all become empty. And ultimately, our life is empty without the preaching of Christ as a, as a resurrected one. And if you remember back to verse 1 of, of chapter 15, uh, he lets us in on something else here. In verse 1 of chapter 15, he says, Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. 
if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And this reminds us, the word that was preached to the church, the gospel, the good news, is not just meant to be heard, right? But it's meant to be believed. And this is the second word that we find in our verse here, in verse 14, faith. That not only is our life made full by the preaching of Christ, but by the receiving of the word by faith. It is necessary for us. Otherwise, we listen in vain. We eat and are not filled. The Christian life is a life of faith. Faith in what? Faith that Christ has raised from the dead. That the fairy tale is real. And this is where the faith in Christ satisfies us at the very core of our existence. Our existence, our life, apart from the risen Christ, is one of futility. And Paul actually says this here in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You know, something is futile. It means that it's useless. It means it can't help you. It means it's based on something that is, is not true. It's not trustworthy. And ultimately, to have faith is to trust, to put your trust in something or someone. In this case, our faith is that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he was the word made flesh, that he was, that we preached and we are filled. He is the one we put our trust in and are not found wanting, who satisfies us, who strengthens us in our sorrows, who never leaves us nor forsakes us. We ultimately believe that he is the good shepherd. And if he was not raised from the dead, then he would not have the power to do these things. Dead shepherds can no longer tend their flock. If he was not raised from the dead, he would just be another martyr of Rome. And faith in him would be futile, be useless to us, unable to accomplish anything in our lives. And Paul is showing us Again, that you can't have the message of Jesus without the resurrection. One without the other simply does not work. And so, first of all, we find the resurrection of Christ necessary for our resurrection as we're united to Christ in faith. And secondly, here we find that, that, if, that the resurrection of Christ is necessary to our life in the preaching, the resurrected Christ, and receiving that word by faith. Which leads us to this final implication of the what if question. And as Paul is kind of working this argument, he goes from the less extreme thing to the most extreme thing. As he kind of is pulling on this thread, making us wrestle with this idea, is the resurrection of Christ necessary for the message of Christ? He ends with perhaps the most pressing implication and consequence to the question what if. And it's this. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are left and our sin. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are left in our sin. We see this here in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So what does it mean to be left in our sin? It means, as verse 18 says, that we will perish. That our death on this earth 
in this life is the end of us. There's nothing else. Ultimately, it means that we're powerless to do anything about it. If we are left in our sin, we are powerless. You know, when Scripture talks about sin, it talks about it in terms of enslavement, and that it has caused us death, and that left in our sin, we are dead. You know, being dead means that we're powerless to do anything about it. Just like a dead person cannot cause themselves to be raised, we cannot cause ourselves to be changed. And when we think about sin, sin is more than just doing bad things. Uh, it kind of, this actually reminds me of a scene um, from Calvin and Hobbes, which if you're not familiar with Calvin and Hobbes, uh, you probably should be. But if you're not, you know, Calvin is uh, this you know, young boy who causes lots of mischief, and he's got this, you know, imaginary friend, or maybe he's not imaginary, who knows. Uh, it's this stuffed tiger named Hobbes, and they have conversations and do things together. And there's this one scene with him where Calvin is worrying about Christmas. You know, he's worried that he hasn't been good enough to get presents. And the, the tiger, Hobbes, says this to him, are you worried that you haven't been good enough? Calvin responds, that's just it. What is Santa's definition of good? I mean, I haven't killed anyone. That's good, right? I haven't started any wars. Don't you think that I deserve lots of presents? And Hobbes says this, maybe being good is more than the absence of bad. Calvin, see, that's what worries me. (laughs) (laughs) And Hobbes, you know, is, is wisely pointing out that sin is not merely just the bad things that we do, but it's really, it's about a relationship with God that has been broken. You know, in her book on the crucifixion, the writer Fleming Rutledge says this. She says that sin is primarily a relational term. Of course, it does have to do with breaking the law of God. But God's law is first and foremost about a relationship with God. These things are meant to bring us into relationship with him. And our problem is that we can't keep the law. That we can't overcome that broken relationship on our own through mere law-keeping, because our sin, our broken relationship, has caused us death. It has rendered us powerless. We are caught up in a riptide, being pulled to sea and in need of rescue, or we will face certain death. You know, and one of the problems with us is that we actually think we have the power to change. Uh, we think, often think that all we need is, you know, fresh motivation to do better. You know, if I just, if there's just another New Year's, I can make some better New Year's resolutions and keep them this year. If I could just wake up at 5 a.m. like, you know, successful people do, I'd be successful. If I just ate a healthy diet, then I'd live to 100, right? We're obsessed with trying to find new and creative ways to outdo the reality of death and sin, And we think we have the power to save ourselves. But the truth is, Scripture tells us that we are dead. You know, we need a power that we didn't ask for. We need a power that we didn't even know that we needed. Just like Lazarus in the tomb heard the voice of Jesus and came to life, we need to hear the voice of Jesus call to us from death to life. And I think we've all experienced 
if we're honest. The powerlessness in our sin and our situation. Our broken relationship with God has caused all sorts of distortions in our life. Broken relationships with our family, with our spouse, with our friends, with our work, with our own bodies. It defeats us. You know, the truth is, you can actually change every habit. You can be the most healthy person on the planet, and you're still going to die. Not that we should avoid uh, good habits, but they can't change the reality of our broken relationship with God. And so ultimately, we come to Jesus, we come to him saying, listen, I recognize I've tried my own power, it was found wanting, maybe, maybe you have the power. Maybe you have the power to help me that I don't have to help myself. And in this, we actually find that the very power that Jesus claims to have. You know, if we just take a quick sampling of some of the things that Jesus claims in the Gospels, they're actually shocking. And one of the things, if this is actually a deep struggle for you, like, like really believing that Jesus was who he said he was, one of the most important things I think you can do is simply read the Gospels. I think that will shock you in some of the things Jesus says and does. And just a quick sampling, you know, of things that Jesus claims. You know, for one, Jesus claims that he can forgive sins. In Mark 2, 5, there's a familiar scene of the paralytic man that's kind of being lowered down uh, through a roof of a house. And Jesus is sitting there teaching, and this kind of thing interrupts him. You know, Jesus doesn't get mad. Jesus doesn't even heal the man right away, but he says something interesting. He says this. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus claims to have the power to forgive sin. Jesus also says that he's come to give life. You know, one of the more popular verses that you may know even if you didn't grow up in the scriptures, John 3.16, which says this, For God so loved the world, this is Jesus speaking, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus has come to give us life. Jesus also says that he has come to save us from our sins. In John 8, uh, he's having a discussion with some people, and Jesus says, He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus has come to save us from our sins if we believe in him. Jesus also says that he has all the power. The ultimate trump card. And this is the very end of the gospel of Matthew, what we call the Great Commission. Jesus' final words in the gospel are this great commission, and it begins with this. And Jesus came and said to them, this is after Jesus had been resurrected, uh, by the way. He says this, I, all the power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus comes claiming the power to bring us from death to life, to forgive our sins, to bring us into the family of God. He claims to make things right. He claims to give us hope to change us, to bring us lasting transformation, to offer the transformation that we cannot offer ourselves. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, he has no power. Then this message of redemption, of bringing us from death to life, is really just a lie. It's a, it's a fairy tale. If Jesus is still in the grave, if he doesn't have the power to raise himself, he doesn't have the power to raise us from death to life. And his words to us just become nice ideas. They become bumper stickers. That doesn't really help anybody. 
This is why Paul moves on from this. And he says uh, that we are the most to be pitied. We are the most to be pitied because if he is still dead, then our belief in a future resurrection is in vain. That you can't separate the message of Jesus from the resurrection. And here, as we feel this tension, Paul moves on. And I'm just going to read the first little bit of the next verse from our passage. And it says this in verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ does have the power that he claimed to. Because Christ is risen, we will rise. Because Christ is, is risen, our preaching has power and it can feed us. Because Christ is risen, our faith gives us life and sustains us. Because Christ is risen, the stain of sin and death, the, the sin that haunts us, has been taken away. Scripture tells us as far as the east is from the west, so far is our sin removed from us. The broken relationship has been restored. We are not, no longer called. You are no longer called a sinner. That's not who you are. You know who you are? You are a friend of God. You are his beloved sons and daughters. That is your identity in Christ. The death has been defeated, that we don't have to search in vain to try to save our lives anymore. We can stop. Christ has done that for us. What we need to do is turn to him, and by the power and the work of his hands, of the resurrected Christ who is alive today, who's seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, he will transform you, and you will be saved. And may this truth, may the truth of the resurrection fill our lives May it grant us confidence and assurance that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. Let me pray for us.